The one story that can supercharge your traffic, increase your conversions, is your customer story. I'm going to send you nine systems for finding and collecting those stories no matter where they happen. Just text GMS9 to 321-392-6692 or click the link in the show notes to get those today. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. This thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Garlic Marketing Show. We're presenting stories that don't stink about marketing. And today we've got an awesome guest, an awesome friend. This guy is a sushi-loving, tennis-loving, about to go to Costa Rica, owner of one of the biggest craft online media companies that I know. <laughs> Dennis Crosby. I, I like that little uh, <laughs> in, the, in my mind while you were saying that. I was like, "Are we? I don't know." Then I know. I'm like, "Yep, that's true." <laughs> Tell me about your business. My whole goal in life is to build stages for people to share their passion through. And right now, our main focus is doing that in the craft market, primarily crochet. So we run a crochet media company where it contains an association, a magazine, um, some physical product stores, some blogs, all that fun jazz. I mean, it's not like you just started this and you've got like 10 people. You've got a decent amount of members, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, last I checked, probably closing in on 6,000 right now. Wow, that's impressive. That's awesome. Congrats on that. So let's talk about that story. How did you figure this out and how did you make it work? So the whole crochet business or what are we yeah. talking about here? Yeah, the crochet business. I mean, All it's right. interesting. Look at a picture of Dennis and when you look up crochet media magnet, <laughs> it, it, it's not what you expect. But you, you may find a picture of me dressed up as Captain Hook. So who knows? <laughs> Be careful what you Google for. <laughs> so yeah, tell me about that. How, how did you get into it? How did you make it work? So you want the short story, long story? What are we going for here? Uh, how long is the show? Uh, let's do let's do the, the most detailed, fun story possible. Oh, my God. All right. Let's do this. So let's start um, circa 2000-something, 2012. Let's call it 2012. Um, I was working in corporate for a whole year, my entire corporate extent. And I realized that that just wasn't for me. I had like the cushiest marketing job ever. No responsibility, no challenge, just getting paid to kind of sit there and do nothing. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't for me. I definitely had to get back to my entrepreneurial roots and I decided to leave corporate. I was going to start a marketing agency, waited, got into it for about a month, got a couple potential big clients. I was like, no, I don't want to do the service industry. I just don't care enough. That's not, that's not me. Um, I thought about like the whole agency. I don't know how you do it personally. Ian. <laughs> like the thought of it, just I can't do it. So I decided to go 
travel. I just read four hour work week for the second time. First time I absolutely hated it. Thought it was unrealistic bullshit. And like just couldn't you couldn't do it, didn't make sense. Real business people couldn't do it. Second time I'm like, yes, this is what I want. He's genius. Go figure. Went to or read the book, like, okay, you know, I haven't done any interesting shit in my life. I'm twenty four, I think, at that time. I'm like, I've just been a struggling broke entrepreneur my whole life. I did a year in corporate. Like, I haven't traveled anywhere. I've been in Orlando most of my life. Or adult life, at least. So, decided to do go travel. I was like, if I'm going to travel, then I need to do online marketing, get some passive income coming up. And I reached out to some friends of mine who I knew were making money doing online marketing. Uh, that was back when creating niche blogs and AdSense and all that was still like the way to make money. Which still works now, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody doing it, but yeah, I'm sure yeah. it still works. I, I can't make that much money though. No, no, no. Okay, I guess it's dead then. I take it back. <laughs> um, so I was talking to them, and they were like, "Yeah, well, you can start up some blogs. It'll probably take you about three, four months to start making some money from it." I was like, "That sucks. Like, I just already left my job. I want to go travel now. How can I make more money faster?" And they were like, "Well, you know, you can write Kindle books." I was like, cool. I always liked writing in high school, so why not? So, of course, I was in that uh, pickup artist phase for a bit where, like, every guy, I think, has gone through at some point in time where you start reading all the blogs and trying weird techniques at bars and all that kind of stuff So you realize all you have to do is generally become an interesting person and everything else falls into place. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, I, Ian Stanley likes to say all the time it's like yeah you could do all these techniques or you can legitimately just become an interesting person yeah (laughs) (laughs) somebody worth talking to magically it all works out so i decided i was going to write dating advice books and me and my friend at the time we were going to partner we were both going to write books and then we were going to split the profits and we wrote the first book together bang down like two days so like real quick it was garbage put it out put it online sold like five copies and I was sitting there, I was like, you know, if we can sell five, we can probably get up to 50, 100. No problem. We can definitely do this. I'm just going to go quantity over quality. It's going to bang out as many books as possible. And, but then we did the math and we're like, if we split this down the middle, this is just not going to work. Like, there, it will be here all day trying to make enough money for both of us to do this. And I was sitting there, I was like, all right, well, you know, you write yours, I write mine, and we just kind of do our own thing. No big deal. We were one book in that didn't make any money, so there was no, like, weird conversations around there or anything. So I started writing books, and I started cranking them out. I think I did wrote, like, five books in, like, a month on Kindle. And none of them were really doing anything. Like, it was just creeping up to, like, five sales a day, then ten sales a day, and stuff like that. I knew my number was, like, I think at that time, I was trying to get up to, like, three grand in passive income. So I think the magic number was like 100 a day or something like that would get me there. So we were doing, I mean, I was doing that and I listened to an audio book by Brian Tracy, his Eat That Frog mm-hmm. one. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I listened to the audio book. I'm like, man, that's a, this is a really good audio program for like time management. This would make a great book. It just turned into like a seven day program. So I literally listened to the audio program a second time, jotted down an outline of what a seven-day program would look like. And I was like, oh, I can't believe he hasn't turned this into a book yet. Well, I'll do him a favor. I'm just going to do it. 
<laughs> that was nice uh, of you. Yeah, I, you know, I'm helping. I'm giving back. So I wrote the book, and it did really, really well on Kindle. It ended up eventually hitting number one in time management. Wow, so, that's awesome. Yeah, and preface that I was looking for a time management book to write because I looked. This was before Kindle became the craziness that it is right now with everybody filling up all the categories, like the time management category, the oldest, the number one was still getting things done. And then all the other books were super old. So it was like, I was like, this is ripe for like a middle price book to come in and do some stuff. So I decided to write the book and it did really well. It eventually hit number one in there and that, and then like three other books I wrote got me to where I needed to be to make our past income. So I went, traveled for a while, did all that fun stuff, uh, Berlin, Japan, Philippines, all that wow. good stuff. Went around. You lived the four-hour work week. I literally lived the four-hour work week. Yeah. Nice. And I thought that I was going to parlay that into a coaching, like time management, productivity, success coaching, because now I was so successful that <laughs> it was now time for me to teach people what yeah. I learned because I was so wise. But um, I started doing that, quickly realized that I did not want to do that, got like a couple of clients and I was sitting there and I was like, I just, I just didn't get that jolt of excitement when somebody made a breakthrough or like did what you asked. Like to be a coach, to deal with all the excuses, and the BS and all that stuff you have to do, just like kind of like agency work, like there, you have to get some kind of pay, payday at the end. And yeah. in this case, I mean, an emotional payday, like where you're like, oh yeah, I saw, he broke through this. His life is now forever changed. Like that yeah. gave me the juice to keep doing it. That never came for me. So I quickly was like, this ain't for me. So then, and remember you asked for this long detailed. Version, I love it. So. No, it's awesome. Okay. I also, you awesome. brought this on yourself. Uh, I think everyone <laughs> is loving it. I mean, before our work week, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah this is awesome. Oh, cool. So, uh, I got back to the States. And I was sitting there trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I saw a presentation by Ed Dale. That's his name, right? Not sure. Oh, old, old internet marker. He's up there with like the David D'Angelo's and the Frank yeah. Kearns and all those people out in Europe. But he was releasing a new product called Magcast. And it was a magazine subscription product. Or to, it was a product that allowed you to create magazines to iTunes. Their, their little uh, magazine newsstand app category gotcha. they used to have that I think they're getting rid of now. But it was a quick little software. You could do it. You can publish, all that kind of thing. When I first saw it release, I see it was like all the opportunity and this, this, and that. I'm like, holy crap, I want to beat them to market because I want to get my magazines out there first before all these other people see this amazing product and start creating all these magazines. So I hired a developer who tried doing all that. That crashed and burned. So I just bought the damn product. And started using it. Lo and behold, I had talked to them later down the line. I got to know their uh, C team, C level team. They're like, yeah, maybe only five percent of people bought software actually produced the magazine. So yeah, lo and behold, I didn't have to worry about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good point too. It's like you know, you always worry about, about being first to market or someone's gonna steal my idea. And so few people execute. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, you know, they say in the info marketing business when they're like, what should I? Do as my opt-in or lead-in and all that. Like, give them your best stuff. Yeah. Start Give them your best stuff for free because, A, they're going to think, holy crap, if he's giving us this, what else does he have? 
And two, they're not going to use it anyways. Yep. And it sucks. Like, I don't, not to sound like negative or condescending, like, I don't want it to be like that, but just no matter what, it always works out that way. Mm-hmm. It's ubiquitous across the business. You hear everybody say it. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. So you, you got the magazine published, and what was the magazine? Yep. So I did, I did a lot of magazines, actually. So kind of like the books, I did quantity over quality. And I ended up, I think, by the, within the first six months, I probably launched about eight magazines. And the ones that stuck were, once again, a men's dating one, a women's lifestyle advice, a craft beer magazine, and... That was it. The craft beer one I actually acquired from another person who had the magazine and was like, yeah, I'm looking to get rid of it. I met him in like a form or something. I bought it off of him. So that one was a purchase acquisition, I guess, (laughs) if you want to call it that. (laughs) Um, But through that, I became really good friends with somebody who had a competing software to the Magcast at Dale's product. And they were trying to get me to come over to their software and make me kind of like their poster child because yeah. I was one of the few people actually making magazines with the licenses I was buying. And we got to become really good friends. And he, his wife was a big crocheter. So he started a crochet magazine as a way to generate revenue for the company himself and also to have work to showcase to people on their sales page and stuff. Yeah, And he got about three months into it and was like, yeah, you know, this is taking up way more of my time than I thought. I need to focus on building our software business, et cetera, et cetera. Do you want to take this off our hands or off my hands? I, was, I looked at it and I looked at his numbers and his like three month numbers far exceeded any of my magazines. Like in three months, the magazines were was doing better than my best magazines. I was like, holy crap. So we talked about it and he basically gave it to me for the price I paid. It essentially gave it to me and I took it and got into that's how I got into crochet and never looked back. Awesome. If I never look back, I mean, it's been two years, two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But still that's, I mean, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, there's so many big points in there. I think one of the big ones is that you got stuff done. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big one there. I hear, you know, you got the marketing out and you're like, Oh, it was crap, but I got it out. And, and that first version of stuff is always kind of crappy. And, and if 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 you're not embarrassed by you know I forget I think it was Steve Jobs, if you're not embarrassed by your first version that you you launched too late. Yeah, and I think that's a big big point in people's marketing. And you you talked about before a platform for people's passion. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. How did you decide that that was your goal? Was it an aha moment, or is that kind of? So do you want the like? Let's do the reels? short version. I was about to say, you've seen what the long version is like. But, um, <laughs> so it's actually something I've been struggling with figuring out for about a year now. I've been really asking myself that question of, like, what am I great at? What can I be great at? What, like, do I want to do? And I've had all these kind of lingering ideas and thoughts and thinking back to my childhood and all that kind of stuff. I've just always felt like I was going to build a media company of some sort. Mm -hmm. Like within the last five years, I really just felt drawn to the media world and like the Rupert Murdoch's and all that. When I read biographies and see all that kind of stuff, like those are ones that kind of feel like I see myself 
being mm-hmm. very similar in that route. So I just wasn't sure like kind of the why behind it. I was really searching for a why. And it was just recently, probably less than a month ago, I was up in Colorado with my girlfriend at a concert. And I was just looking at, I'm always looking for uh, lessons and everything. Oh, yeah, I'm me at. too. Yeah. So I'm Watching at Watching TV. Really? <laughs> what, what can I learn from this? How can it make me a better entrepreneur? That's all. Yeah. That's what our minds are wired for. But I was looking out into the crowd and then it kind of just finally hit me. It's like, I don't necessarily want to be the star up on the stage because I took one of those personality tests that Greg recommended to us. Yeah, Greg and, Hickman. Yeah, it labeled me as the quote-unquote star. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw it, but I kind of didn't. It's still part of it didn't feel completely congruent with me. I realized I didn't necessarily want to be the star, the person up in front, but I did want to build that platform that they're delivering that information through. So like, I want to be the person that brings those giant audiences together to allow people or allow somebody to share the passion that will like change their lives. Like whatever drew them there, whatever topic or interest that is, I want to bring them there so that I can set somebody up to deliver the value they're looking for and, and ideally transformational value. You know, and I love the fact that you're in the craft space and looking at that as it, it's a transformational value. Because a lot of people might look at it as like kind of a throwaway, but you've seen it in your business transform people's lives, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure when you use the word like transformational and life change or stuff like that, but the simple act of putting a smile on somebody's face can be transformational. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be like Tony Robbins level transformations well, where you're exactly. walking on fire. Yeah, but it, I mean, but even Tony Robbins said it and a lot of other guys say it, and it's so true. You know, if you put someone's path a 1% change in direction, over time, it's a massive difference in direction. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, crafts could be that thing that takes someone's stress away, helps them see the world in a different way. Yeah, makes them feel appreciated, valued. That's yeah. fantastic. That's really cool. One thing that resonates with me too is that you you just check your ego out the door and you own it so much because there's a lot of guys out there that want to be like, hey, I'm you know I own this website that's it's all masculine and macho and boom boom boom, and you're like, no, this is me transforming it, and but it's it's what worked too, right? Mm-hmm. It's what worked. Um, so speaking of what worked, when it comes to marketing, can you tell me a story of something that completely didn't work for you, especially like recently? That didn't work. Oh, I know we try so, to ignore those, but no, I mean, there's just so many. I'm trying to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we try a lot of things all the time and a lot of things crash and burn. Um, so specifically marketing or business? I prefer marketing. Marketing, okay. Since this is a marketing show. All right. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Um, something that hasn't worked recently. So we were doing a lot of free plus shipping offers inside of our business. And it's been one of the big growth engines for our uh, company. And what we were doing was we were testing product, products off of AliExpress and just running funnels straight to them when we were fulfilling the orders and et cetera, et cetera. And we found out that we got a real, we got a strong surge of orders and new people in the door through those offers. But eventually, since we weren't truly vetting the offers or the products because it just ship time took so long that we ended up 
using products that weren't ideal. And eventually, like in the beginning, it didn't matter. But after two or three months in, the negativity and the, re- the response from our market became so overwhelming that it de- it re- drastically reduced the ROI from it. It screwed up the team and our internal culture because that level of negativity, you can't help but mess up internal mm-hmm. culture. And just overall, it just did not work. So we ended up having to really go through and vetting all the things to make sure we stood behind it before we put it out there. So it, it, that's like the council's marketing, right? Yeah, oh, it definitely does. Yeah. I think it's a great example of, a, of what's the ultimate marketing success. It's just leads, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's sales. Getting people in the door, getting leads, right? It's mm-hmm. ultimate marketing success. When you, I ask anyone what their goal is, they're like, more leads. But to your point, how that ripples through your business, because it's not the right type of leads. I talked on, on the last podcast with Kim Snyder from Sync to CRM, and you know we were talking about how you need to market for your business, not just to make money, right? Because mm-hmm. your culture is important to you. Oh, yeah. And you have a virtual business, right? Right. So virtual, I mean, you have employees all over the place, but Dennis still worries about his culture. I talked to him a lot outside of the podcast. You know, you worry about your people. You worry about if they're happy. Oh, for sure. Like, if your team isn't enjoying working with you, like, you're, you're doomed. Yeah. Sooner or later, you're doomed. Unless you're doing a bunch of three, four, five dollar an hour employees overseas and you just have them work in the systems and processes and you kind of have that kind of business. But if you're having a thing where people have to collaborate and generate ideas and do things like that, if they're not happy, a toxic environment, you're doomed. You'll decay from the inside out eventually. And it's interesting that the leads caused the marketing caused the inside issues. And oh. it was a, it was a market in a way it was a marketing success that became a marketing failure, right? Yeah, essentially. I mean, if we didn't catch it fast enough, it could destroy things even worse. I think I still caught it too late. But I'd say ninety percent of our cultural when our culture starts getting dirty and messy and all that it comes from marketing it comes from something we did in marketing that threw everything off that's so interesting stressed out our team in some way shape or form that it's amazingly interesting because people look at marketing as like oh it's just great if it works it works and you're making money but they don't think about like what who they're bringing in no and that's a great story of a marketing success becoming a marketing failure Mm -hmm. i think that's interesting and a lot of people don't talk about that uh, or don't don't have the wherewithal to notice it, right? You know, on the pulse, like, well, we're getting leads, team. You have you have to shape up, yeah, right. right? Like you put the money before the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the end that comes back to bite you. Oh yeah, you pay for it now. You pay for it later. Yeah. You know, and you talked about essentially changing the world through marketing. We talk about that a lot. You know, building these media platforms for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what do you see? that doing for people and for the world in general when by doing that so you just got deep on me (laughs) (laughs) um no so i really want to create like i said these media platforms that draw in large audiences and delivers transformational experience content whatever to those people and I see that, like, right now it's in crafts, but there's so many other areas that I want to do this in. So, I mean, like, entrepreneurship, um, health, things like that. Like, I was watching a documentary with my girlfriend the other day on the um, sugar industry. Did you see that one on Netflix? Yeah. yeah I'm looking at that. I'm like, 
oh god like my heart literally ached i was like but it's not that hard to beat them like as powerful as they are i feel like they can be beaten yeah with, through just pure information doing the right type of information the right type of marketing exactly changing people's minds exactly and i'm like you know what a lot of the healthy stuff out there like it targets the people who are already health centric but what about the people who don't even know where to start like i look at my family and like they're they will never receive a lot of the health information that's being pushed out there because they're not being distributed in those the right channels yeah, for my family to consume it yeah exactly yeah so i'm like somebody needs to start a platform that is almost like that entry level that takes almost that ignorant category. And I mean, you use ignorant and the lovingest term. I'm talking about my family in yeah, this market. Well, and, and, and not in your derogatory sense. They're just, they're, they lack the knowledge. Exactly. And works as that like tipping point, like that gets them introduced into it, goes through those same channels, doesn't overwhelm them with things that screw up their belief systems or what they're doing. It's just going to be very small things, things that they can easily tweak. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, if, that platform can be built then once you get them into that then you can take them like you, the progression model and up and get them into the point where they're really making transformational things and all it takes is to get them to do one small thing that makes a difference and then they're going to keep coming back to you and then you can start delivering the big stuff yeah and, and that's a great point too it's, it's about those micro commitments mm -hmm. about getting people to make those micro commitments but I also think, to your point of giving people the platform to do it, everyone has to have a little cause and make those little changes. It's mm -hmm. no, you know, we have massive ripple effects in the world. Whereas we, if we think, well, I'm going to try and change everything that's going bad in the world today. You know, we're, I mean, today is a horrible news day. Lots of horrible stuff going on across the board, shootings, killings, everything else. And someone's like, well, what, I, what can I do? But even doing that one simple change where you're improving someone's diet, you know what a massive ripple effect if someone feels better they smile a little bit better the people around them but it all it takes is one person to to enter into that one little community you don't have to be on this big platform right absolutely yeah and i think that's an important thing for people to realize and, and that's you know one of my goals too with this podcast and stuff is make everyone a bit of a marketer everyone a bit of an entrepreneur and and pick up one thing that they want to change like you you have big ideas but you have the the capability to execute on big ideas, which is great. Uh, and not everyone will, but everyone can have execute on a small idea and make that small change, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and that's great. And it can be entertaining, too. Like you're saying. I it mean, has to be entertaining. In today's society, it has to be entertaining. If you're, if you're trying to give somebody a transformational experience and you're not doing it in an entertaining way, it's just not going – it's not that it's not going to work. It's just not going to work as well as it could. And it's not going to be as alluring. Like I keep or it going, just won't work. Exactly. Like I keep, I'll keep going back to Tony Robbins because I did a year of all Tony Robbins events. So I'm kind of <laughs> very familiar with the way this stuff works. <laughs> but it's, I'd say 50% 50, 50 entertaining, 50% transformation, like information. Yeah. Like most of it, it's like being at a concert, like his uh, UPW event. It's like yeah. being at a concert. You're jumping around, you're doing all this stuff. He's telling all these funny, engaging stories, but... You know, the whole time he's doing like the NLP stuff and playing things into your mind and all that. You don't realize because you're being entertained. And like to try to, we have short attention spans. We get bored. We want to have fun. If you're ignoring that when you're trying to help somebody change and grow and you're not going to feed that entertainment side of it, you're going to be doomed. 
if you're trying to get somebody to start working out and you're not going to give them workouts that they enjoy, it's going to be a much harder stick rate. Yeah. Much harder to get them to stick. Whether than starting them off with maybe a slightly easier workout, but they something they really enjoy. Or just have them walk in the gym, right? Yeah. Just walk in the gym for yeah. seven days in a row. Don't even work out. Just get in the habit of walking in the gym mm-hmm. and laughing. And that's a great point, too, that, you know, those little things and entertaining people and even like Tony Robbins, the people that are making massive change, mm-hmm. they're entertaining people and you have to entertain them first. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them what they want first, which is entertainment. I'm going to shift gears a little because, you know, we do a lot of video. How, are you using video at all right now? We are. We are. I double check. Yeah, we are <laughs> a fairly good amount of video. Are you using Facebook video ads or what are you doing? So we are doing Facebook video ads. We're doing video on our landing pages and we are doing educational content through video. Wow. You're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So a fair amount. Nice. So where did you guys start and what have you found is now the most effective thing for you? So... I'd say we started with adding video to our landing pages and that we saw a bump in conversions when we did that. And then we took those same videos and started testing with in video ads, which proved to be give us higher click through rates and engagement and all that. And then kind of concurrently with all this for some of our products for our memberships, we decided to do some video tutorials and stuff like that. So yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Where do you see it going with your business? If I could do more video, I would. <laughs> Nutshell. Like, I would do so much more video inside my business if we, ha- if we were set up to do it. Right now, we make sure we do our landing pages. We try to do a ad. We try to double down. So whatever video we use for a landing page, we structure it so it'll work for a Facebook ad as well. So we try to double down on that. Um, I have one person creating our video tutorials for our association. If I can get another person doing it, that'd be awesome. So we can double down on that. Um, we do webinars and stuff gotcha. like that. So we're we're stream we're pretty streamlining it. Like we're organically producing it. But if I could ramp that up, that'd be awesome. Like I'd love to start like crochettv.com or something. What's preventing? Are you doing Facebook Live? We do it a little, and it's completely bullshit excuse right here. But we just don't have the bandwidth to really do it. Yeah. I mean, but in re- that basically just means it's not a priority. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, at least you admit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, I'll be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it's easy. And it's not just not a priority. It becomes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I I was doing it and then it becomes overwhelming. I know how to do it. I have all the equipment. One of my pieces was missing. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm like, oh, I'm a little sweaty right now. I'm not going to do it. It's 106 degrees in Florida. Yep. And uh, the Wi-Fi is not working, so I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Um, there's always excuses, yeah. right? right? And it sucks because our audience eats it up. They love it. They absolutely you're love like, it. Yeah, increases conversion, works better than everything else. Our audience loves it, but we don't have time for it. Right? <laughs> the, the stories we tell ourselves. <laughs> the stories we tell ourselves. Well, I really appreciate Dennis Crosby, you being on here. And if, if someone wants to learn more about your stuff, and check it out. I wouldn't even know how. Um, I do a horrible job. I don't even market myself at all. So you could go to DennisCrosby.com. There's some things That might there. be me. Yeah. Be. <laughs> there, there's some things there. Um, it's all outdated from back when I was doing magazine stuff. Um, the easiest way, I'll do the same thing I did with uh, Shoresh's podcast when I did his. Email me. 
at Dennis at DennisCrosby.com. Or if you have a burning question or something that you want to ask me, just text me at 407-770-7809. Notice I said text, not call. Oh, wow. But yeah, I'm pretty accessible. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, thanks for, for doing that. Um, and let me ask you, since you, you're a time management master, what's your biggest time management trick? Oh, God. Um, I jump around a lot. I've learned that, for me at least, one system has never worked forever. Like yeah. I just jump around because business change, life change. So I have like five systems I rotate between. Nice. Um, the one that I really like right now that is consequently the hardest to freaking do but works the best when I do it is a hybrid between – have you read the book The One Thing? Uh-huh. Okay. So The One Thing, and for those of you who have never read it, it's basically you ask yourself a focusing question every day. And the question is, what's the one thing I can do today that will make X and X easier or not – everything else easier or not needed? So you ask yourself that question, you write that down. That's the one thing you work on every for the whole day until you complete it. So I combine that with the, uh, I don't even know if there's a proper name for this, but um, you know the Charles Schwab thing where it's the, the story they did and you write down the five thing, most important things you have to do that day. You start at number one and you don't move down until you have number two. You okay. know what I mean? You know that yeah, one? Yeah. yeah, so the idea is, as I just said, you write down the five most important things you have to do for that day. Like I usually ask myself, if I was going to go on vacation for a month tomorrow, what's the five things I'd make sure got done? So I write down those five things and then I ask myself the focusing question from the one thing, make sure that's number one in case I missed it. And then I will start number one and then not, and once I finished that, I'll go to number two, then number three, number four, number five. I'd say about, 30% of the time, I actually stick to that during the day. But, you know, life, team, things pop up, whatever, where everything yeah. feels urgent. So 30% of the time, I actually stick to that. The days that I do, I feel the best. I feel like I got the most done. Mm-hmm. And then if I don't, sometimes I'll jump down, I'll go knock off number four, number five, one wing for something to come through, number one. Like I get held up on number one, so I jump down to three. But usually I'll stay within the confines of those five things, which I identify as my most important stuff. So it keeps me pretty focused. It gives me a little bit of flexibility, but it also identifies my highest leverage point for the day. Nice. So kind of convoluted, but it works for me. It, it works for you. That's all that matters. Yeah. Dennis, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was awesome. And we're uh, Dennis joined me here in Orlando at our office, and uh, he's a former Orlando native, headed to Costa Rica. What? What? <laughs> I'm gonna get my surf one. I'm ready to get a surf on. Thank you all for listening to the Garlic Marketing Show and having Dennis and I ride along on your journey to uh, becoming a marketing expert. Have a great day. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 